and this is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, we'll begin to consider Christ's evaluation of the ancient church, which was at Philadelphia. Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord Jesus describes himself as being holy, true, and the key holder. We have a truly majestic and a truly perfect Savior. And now, with his message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. Revelation chapter 3, the Church of Philadelphia. Let's do a quick review. We're in the book of Revelation, verse by verse. We are in the chapters 2 and 3 section, which are verses that were written to literal ancient churches with specific messages from the risen and glorified King Jesus to their situations. We've seen in sermons past that the church at ancient Ephesus had lost their first love or left it. Smyrna was about to suffer. It was one of the two of the seven churches that received no rebuke from the risen Christ. They were about to suffer. They received no rebuke. Pergamum was holding to a heresy. Thyatira was facing a question of getting by with, and being unholy versus perhaps not getting by and choosing holiness. And the last time we looked at Sardis and we talked about how Jesus identified Sardis, people in the church of Sardis, some of them, as being spiritually dead but pretending to be alive. And now this morning we come to the ancient church of Philadelphia. You know, he was 17 years old and he didn't have any interest in the things of Jesus. But he had a friend who was seven years older than him that wanted to see him come to a Jesus place where he could hear about Jesus. He kept turning his friend down, but the friend actually eventually got the 17-year-old there to the place of Jesus because he promised him that he could drive his rickety old pickup truck if he went to the place of Jesus. This happened many nights, and eventually the 17-year-old transferred his trust to Jesus Christ alone while at that Jesus place, and he was marvelously saved. He went on to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to over 250 million people on earth. He became the close personal friend of nine United States presidents. His name was Billy, Billy Graham. This message, as we look at the Church of Philadelphia in the past, ought to stir us to share our faith, especially when we are facing opposition for doing so. Let me tell you about ancient Philadelphia. Before I do, let me also point out that this church at ancient Philadelphia was the second of the two churches that was not rebuked by Jesus. Ancient Philadelphia, the name means brotherly love. The founding king of this city was exceptionally devoted to his brother. It was wine country and they had an idol, a god of wine, raised up amongst them. Philadelphia was the gateway to the rest of Asia Minor. It was on a major trade route, the Imperial Post Road it was called, and it was a commercial stop on that major trade route, so not surprisingly, it was a prosperous city. People came there to do their business, and business was good in Philadelphia. History tells us that the area was prone to earthquakes. 
Often the city was subjected to earthquakes, and because of that, a large portion of the Philadelphians who could afford to do so built homes outside of the city walls, although they considered themselves to be affiliated with the city. The people who lived in this city valued unity, customs, and loyalty, especially to their civic leaders. Let's give attention to the passage before us that addresses Philadelphia. Revelation 3, 7 to 13, we hear the word of God. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds, behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come on the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our focus for this morning will only be verses 7 and 8. And as you turn your eye to verse 7, will you notice that Jesus Christ describes himself? In verse 7, he says... He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. It is interesting that in this description of himself, Jesus starts with the fact that he is the holy one. All the holiness that there is, he personifies. He is holiness. You know, the way you look at lists, the first thing in a list and the last thing in a list are emphasized usually. And here at the head of this short list of how Jesus self-describes is his holiness. Jesus Christ is sinless. Jesus Christ is pure. And when we come to him by faith and are born again, we are robed in his righteousness. Positionally before God, we are holy. And yet we all realize that in the process of sanctification, which is a daily process, moment-to-moment process, that we ebb and flow in the practical holiness in our lives. That's why we confess sin when we're aware of it, because we are not positionally completely holy. Excuse me, we are positionally completely holy, but practically speaking, we are not yet completely holy. A doctor friend of mine, a surgeon, told me that when she operated the day before another surgery, the protocol was to scrub her hands vigorously for three and a half minutes. 
But if she had not operated the day before, maybe she had the weekend off or no surgery was scheduled the day before that surgery, the day of that surgery, protocol was that she had to hand scrub for 10 and a half minutes. That's a picture of holiness, practical holiness for you and me. It requires regular maintenance. We have to make choices regularly to choose to be set apart for God for his use without moral compromise in our lives. So Jesus Christ says of himself, I am the one who is holy. He goes on to say that he is the one who is truth. He is true. He is holy who is true. In this culture, we need to point out the fact in the postmodern day in which we live that argues there is no such thing as absolute truth across the board for everybody that's objective. Jesus says, I am true. In every era, in every situation, Jesus says, I am true. So objective absolute truth must exist because Jesus is it. Thirdly, he says in this list something about the key of David. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Will you notice that this key is not one of many keys? It is not a key of David. It is the key of David. Jesus Christ has the king's key. Now, historically, this is a quote from Isaiah 22, verses 20 to 23. And back then, a servant named Eliakim was given the key of the house of David so that he had authority back then to admit or to refuse to admit someone into the king's presence. That was historically. But then come Revelation chapter 3, Jesus ascribes the same key, the key of David, to himself. And this time, he says, as the king of kings and lord of lords, the resurrected savior and the glorified coming king, he says, I now have the key of David. I have the authority to decide who is admitted to my thousand-year millennial kingdom and who is not admitted. That's what Jesus was saying by quoting Isaiah 22 here in Revelation 3. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas, and today we want to continue to talk about how we can be reconciled with Christ and how Christ forgave us of our sins. And, and the last time we looked and we stopped at Romans 5, and it says, but God proves his love for us, and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, this is the truth that we need to understand that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. When we wanted nothing to do with Christ, he died. And verse 9 says this, How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? You see, all of us who are listening to this broadcast, we need to understand that we all struggle with one simple word, and that is sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, we are all sinners. We all have a need of a Savior. We all need to be saved by something. It's just like a person who, as we consider that, as we consider what that verse is saying, there's none of us who can say that we can throw a rock from here to, you know, Andrus. We fall short of what God's 
glory. We fall short of what God would have us to do. And we all deserve the wrath of God. But God said, I'm going to save you from that. I'm going to send my son to die for you so that you can have a relationship. And that is what we are saved of when we come in this relationship. When God has reconciled our relationship, we are saved from the wrath of God. Verse 10 says, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having be reconciled will we be saved by his life? Again, as we consider, as we talked about a little bit last week, we talked about how we were Christ's enemies. We wanted nothing to do with God, nothing at all. But here it is. God said, I'm going to send my son to die for you, to reconcile you. So when we consider that, what hope do we have that if he sent his son to die for us so that we can be reconciled, that we have this hope that we have been saved by him? Nothing that we have done. We can't earn this gift of salvation. There's nothing that we can do to say, I'm good enough, because none of us are good. No, not one. And the Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You see, we need to understand that as we consider that our wages was what we deserve is death because of our sin. We are separated from God. But God came down and sent his son and said, I am going to send my son to die for you, to reconcile you to a relationship with me. You see, we need to understand what a gift of salvation it truly is. And I know we live in a country where we go to churches and we hear the gospel message that Christ died for my sin and he rose again, and we all know that. But the reality is, do we know that? We know a lot about it, but has that made a difference in your life? Has that changed you? Because when we consider that somebody has died for you, it should change your life. It should change your direction. It should change how you go about life. You see, as, as a, a young person listening to this this morning again, you may say to yourself, well, I already know all this. I know that Christ died for my sin, and I've accepted Christ. But I want to ask you a question. Would someone truly know that? Would they see Christ in you? You know, one, one of our pastors here, he likes to use the illustration to say that if you were put in court, would you be found guilty to be a Christian? And I think that's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. If we were put before the court, would the evidence against us say whether or not we are truly a Christ follower or are we truly following the world? Because that's the only choice that we have. And as we can continue this series on talking about how to embrace the life of a Christ follower, we need to understand that first of all, we need to be a Christ follower before we embrace the life. We can't embrace the life until we, uh, we know that we have a relationship with Christ. And we know that he has reconciled us to this relationship. Verse 11 says that not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Again, you're listening to this and you, you need to ask yourself that question. Do I truly know Christ? Have I been reconciled? And we need to understand that the reconciliation does not depend on us but it depends on what he's already done for us. Because I can't save you. Your mommy and daddy can't save you. you, you whoever it is, they can't save you. The only thing that can save you that you can have hope in this world is to know that you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ and you have been reconciled in this relationship with him. You see, it doesn't depend on whether I've been good enough because none of us are good enough. We're going to always fail but we have a secure hope to know that we have received a gift of salvation that 
God has secured for us. Not that it depends on me. Because if it depends on any of us, we would fail every single day of our lives. Again, we have just been talking about and talking about how we embrace this life of Christ. Well, now we just like to tell you about some ministries here at Calvary Bible Church that you can be involved in. On Tuesday nights from 6 to 8, we have Cross Trainers, which is a kid's ministry that is open to anyone um, from the ages of 5 to 18. And we would encourage you to send your kids to this as this is a brand new ministry that we are doing. Um, and it, it just allows you as a family and, and as your kids to be in the Word of God, to study the Word of God. Also, we have Ignition, which is our youth program here on Friday nights. So we would love to have you there. And that is from 7 to 9.30. And now, today's ministry spotlight. We're in the middle of a conversation between Pastor Elliot and Rhonda Darville, who is the founder and executive director of the Bahamas Guard Parent Center. We will resume from where we left off last time. Because it's like, did I do something, you know, that prevented me from having children later down the road? Yeah. It's yeah. a lot. And I'm sure that in some cases the shame prevents a woman from telling a fiancé yes. that she's had that in her past. And, yes. and that can really raise its ugly head in their relationship, their intimate relationship with each other or yes. other ways. Oh, most definitely. Because now that's a huge breach of trust. Right. That you know you don't think about but it's something that has to be addressed again we've had those situations where we've had to walk them through this process you know and it's not easy right and i, I should also hasten to say in some cases men yes. have fathered a baby and they yes. push their girlfriend to have an abortion and they if they don't disclose that to their fiance it'll it'll uh really hamper their their relationship with their their wife too exactly um how is it that we know that life begins at conception? All of the science. <laughs> like I said, we're not just faith-based, we're science. From the beginning of medical science dealing with babies, um, it's been proven, conception. That is the beginning of birth. When that sperm and that egg, and that egg is broken by that sperm and they come together yes. that's the beginning but the word of God says I knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb I knew you <laughs> that's right it's amazing before can you imagine that oh, the, the that God, God knew me he knew me Rhonda mm -hmm. before my mother and father even had an inkling Yes. That's amazing. Before you were a twinkle in either one of their eyes. Exactly. Uh, exactly. The psalmist in Psalm 139 mm -hmm. says this, For thou, God, didst form me. my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. Yes. I will give thanks to thee, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful yes. are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee <laughs> when I was made in secret. And skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, that's a figure of speech to say the womb, thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, yes. and in thy book they were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. God is saying in his book for yes. each individual, Everyone. he has ordained a certain number of days. And uh, we each get them. How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God. 
how vast is the sum of them. Yes. Um, if I could count them, they would be outnumbering the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Think yes. of that, that any given day, Rhonda, that God in his mercy and love has more thoughts toward each yes. of us and all of us than can be even numbered. Yes. Like the sand on Cabbage yes. Beach. Yes. And <laughs> amazing. that's amazing. When I think about it, and I really think about the sovereignty of God and each and every day, it gives your life a whole different perspective because God is sovereign mm -hmm. and he determines what happens in each day. Yes. That's amazing when you really think about it. You know, the first part of that scripture you wrote was he knit. He yes. knit it. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. Can we come to this place where we think we do something to give life? God knits this life together. Beautiful. That's amazing. It, it truly is. <laughs> well, I think we've had a good, th good time and a useful time uh, talking about many things. And I want to thank you so much for your ministry um, of love and of risk. It takes risk yes. to do what you're doing. And uh, God is blessing. And I know he will continue to bless because you are rooted in his word. And he says that his word will not go out from him without accomplishing that for which he has purposed. In Isaiah 55, he says that. So let's pray together at this time. Our God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the giver of life that you are the one who tells us when life begins at conception and that you are the one in grace and mercy and love who has provided the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay for all, sin, all of our sins and that he is the one that has shed his blood once for all, the just for the unjust. And we pray that we would uh, accept your forgiveness by putting our faith completely and only in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we could rise from that confession of faith to walk in the Spirit, to uh, be aware when sin creeps into our lives as Christians, that we keep short accounts, and that we would confess our sin as we need to, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May your hand of blessing continue to be on all pro-life movements around the world, and particularly the pro-life movement here in the Bahama land. We pray that the Bahamas God Parent Center would know your favor and would save lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name together. Amen. 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 For more information on the Bahamas God Parent Center, you can phone them at 698-4306. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. A question from Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath 
and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Question. Are unbelievers really lost apart from faith in Christ? The main point of Romans chapter 1 verse 18 all the way through Romans chapter 3 verse 20 is that unbelievers are lost and face God's righteous judgment apart from saving faith in Christ. Paul emphasizes that this is true of Gentiles, see Romans 1, 18 to verse 32. It's true of morally good people, see Romans 2, verses 1 through 6. It's true of Jewish people, see Romans 2, 17 through chapter 3, verse 8. And in fact, it's true of all mankind, see Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. Paul sums up his main point of this first section of Romans in Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul makes it clear that God is not unfair in judging unbelievers. See Romans 1, verses 18 and 19. God has revealed himself through his creation so that the truth of his existence and divine attributes is clearly evident. See Romans 1, verse 19. On the basis of this general revelation, the world is without excuse in its rejection of God. See Romans chapter 1, verse 20. God promises that there will be a day of wrath and revelation of his righteous judgment. See Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Paul insists that this judgment will be without partiality. See Romans 2, verse 11. Paul's teaching concerning the way of salvation corresponds to the words of Christ, quote, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's John chapter 14, verse 6. The encouraging thing for us to remember is that Jesus died for the sins of the world and his provision of salvation extends to all who will believe. No one is eternally lost apart from his or her personal decision to reject God and God's self-revelation. Those who respond to this general revelation will receive further light from God. See Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And they will have an opportunity to receive salvation in Christ. See John chapter 6, verse 37. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior. <laughs>